Amen. You may be seated. We sing better than we live. I've said that before. We aim at it, though, right? That's, are you aiming at it? Are you grieving when you fall short? Turn to Romans chapter 15. We're going to finish this section today that uh, we've been talking about since verse 1 of chapter 14 about um, not judging one another, despising one another, but being uh, unified one in Christ, knowing where the disputable matters are and where they're not so that there are things that we can disagree about and still enter the kingdom of heaven. There are other things that, you know, we must agree about. So, so knowing, that, knowing those differences. But I'm going to read one of the rare times I'm going to read what I'm going to preach this morning, which is 15, 1 to 7. And we will look at that section together this morning. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. If you look back to 14.1, you can see the connection there. As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. So we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Thus far, God's Word. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we praise You this morning. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your truth and for the promise that the Spirit takes Your truth and does Your work. That the Gospel is the power of God, as Corey has reminded us, that You will work. Your word never returns to you void, but accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. So help us, Lord, this morning. Help me to preach your word in the power of the Spirit for the glory of your name and the good of your church. Help us to hear it as your word, loving it, delighting in it, seeking to live in its light in Christ Jesus our Lord. Bless us, Lord, with your truth that we might be more like our Savior. Save those and convert those who do not know you. Sanctify those of us who do. We pray for your blessing on the preaching and the hearing of the Word of God. It's in Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Many people want a beautiful lawn. I have a picture of a beautiful lawn for you this morning. That looks more like a garden than my yard, but anyway. But we, we want a beautiful yard, but listen, that's not easy. And that's not something you can kind of get it looking that way and just check it off. 
It's called yard work. But it's really yard war. (laughs) If your lawn is to be beautiful and serve its purpose well, it must be regularly maintained. That takes work. Sometimes a fight. If you don't regularly mow, your wife will make you sleep outside. No. If you don't regularly mow the yard and sometimes aerate the yard and fertilize the yard and put out weed killer on the yard, what do you end up with? Jungle. A jungle of high grass weeds that has in it bugs and snakes and not things girls are made of. But you get the idea. You either fight the fight of the yard war or you lose the war and the yard. Unity in, in the church is like that. And I, I praise God, as, as we sit here this morning, I think Grace Church is probably as unified as, as it's ever been. But we don't get to check that off. Because we're not perfectly unified. There's still a need for this information that we've been looking at. And even as we cap off this section, and some of this will echo back into what we've already seen, we need it. Everybody wants a peaceful, unified church, but not everyone is willing to put in the self-sacrifice to maintain it. It requires the warfare of regular maintenance if we're going to remain unified. Unity, once achieved, must be constantly fought for or the weeds of division will sprout and take over. And the, the weeds represented by the disputed matters in the text we've been looking at and we've been studying, those have a tendency to eat away at the roots of our unity if we're not careful. They must be regularly treated with the personal application of the gospel. Many, maybe even most church splits happen over disputed matters. And some not even on that level. I mean, you've heard the stories. Churches split over the color of the carpet or whether to have chairs or pews or the color of the chairs or whether or not you have stained glass or you fill in the, you fill in the, the blanks there. But we have to be regularly treating with personal application of the gospel or these weeds will grow and threaten and maybe destroy the unity of church. But through the encouragement and hope of the scriptures, we endure with our eyes fixed on Christ in that fight for unity. That way God is glorified and we remain unified. And so today mainly we're thinking about the example of Christ and how that feeds into this this fight for unity. But if you remember, we, we've seen a gospel presentation expanded in chapters um, 1 uh, up through, really, you go all the way through 11, when what Paul is looking back on. But we've seen that we're justified by faith alone in Christ alone, that salvation is in Christ, and it's through faith in Him, through trusting Him, that He justifies sinners. But he, those He justifies, He sanctifies and grows in grace and makes more and more and more like Christ until the day He comes or we go to Him. He finishes the work and makes us like Christ. We've seen His sovereign application of the redemption purchased by Christ. And now as we came to chapter 12, Paul says, based on God's mercies, 
Based on his mercies, you be a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice for Christ. A living sacrifice for one another. One who loves the brethren and sacrifices for the brethren. And down the list, you've seen how we've gone. But today we're going to look at our fight for unity as we cap off this section. We're going to look at verses 1 to 7. And this is the main point. Fight for the unity of the church by prioritizing pleasing God over pleasing self. Number one, fight for unity by not prioritizing pleasing self. Look at back in verse 1. And especially, this is especially to the strong, but within this, uh, these seven verses you also have allusions back to the weak so it's all of us together fighting for this unity but he says we who are strong have a look at that word obligation we have an obligation and that word there is representing a debt we owe to god this is a moral requirement from god this is not an option this is a this is a command if you want to put it that way and it's, too, it's kind of like a coin with two sides on it, this obligation that we have. Look at side one there in the verse. We are to bear with the failings of the weak. Other translations, which is more literal, say bear the failings of the weak. Some, listen, who are the weak? The weak are those who over-elevate the disputed matters. Things that are not clear moral commands of God, clear requirements of God. Things that many Christians disagree over and evidently are able to disagree over and still enter the kingdom of God. The weak are the ones who make everything most important. Or maybe some things. Or maybe just their things. And, and a lot of times, a lot of times it's coming, this is happening in a new believer. Or a young believer. Or an untaught believer. And so it requires patience. We don't try to... If you ever do counseling, you can't fix everything all at once. We, we have to dig for the main things and work there. If you, if you dig... If you're, doing, if you're weeding, back to the yard analogy, if you get the roots, it'll take care of a lot of the fruits, right? You don't have to worry about the little yellow flower on top of it. If you, get, if you got weeds in your yard and you just keep picking that yellow flower off, Wasting your time. So bear, bearing with those failings, as long as they're, they're not compromising moral requirements and gospel issues, then we can bear with that. We can, as Paul has shown us, maybe, maybe he was convinced that, that all foods were clean and then no foods were out, that he could eat anything. Those, those Old Testament clean and unclean, those are gone in the New Covenant and in Christ. Uh, he wasn't concerned about whether or not the meat had been sacrificed to an idol because he knew an idol was nothing. So he could have a clear conscience and eat meat with, with no failing. But in the presence of a weaker brother or sister, he would not do that if he even had any suspicion that it might cause them to stumble. He, he was willing to not eat meat or drink wine or anything else in order to preserve their spiritual health and in order to preserve the unity of the church. So some of our convictions need to be private convictions, and we need to be careful with those. We've talked about that, so I'm not going over that. But he says, bear with, bear long, be patient with, be willing to live with, and, and, and be willing to sacrifice for, in order for the big picture things to happen, be willing to sacrifice for the weak, those who over-elevate disputed matters. So he says, bear with the failings of the weak, 
And that the other side of that coin of our obligation, especially to the strong, is not to please ourselves. And when he's saying that, he means here in, in, the, in these disputed matters, of course, but, you know, our upper goal, is, our highest goal is not to please ourselves in any way. We are to find pleasure in God and in his will. But, but we're, not, we don't, we're not to elevate our freedom, our Christian liberty, over the health of the church. If I elevate my freedom over the good of my brethren and the unity of the church, I'm sinning against my brother, my weaker brother or sister. I'm sinning against God, and I'm tearing at the fabric of the unity of the church. So some in the church over-elevate their Christian liberty, and we need to be willing to sacrifice those things in the presence of those uh, that those things might make them stumble. So look what our obligation is then in verse 2. Let us please his neighbor. Let, let each of us please his neighbor for his good. And here's the goal, to build him up, edify them, to build them up, to make them stronger in Christ. A lot of times if it is a, a new uh, or, or a young or, or an untaught believer, uh, a lot of these things, as they grow and mature and you focus on the main things, a lot of these disputed things will kind of fall away as they mature. But you can, you can trip them up. You can destroy that work. You can, if, you, if you make priorities things that are not priorities, you can interrupt that path of discipleship and then obviously interrupt the unity of the church. So the strong are to bear with the failings or bear the failings of the weak, bear their burdens, not please ourselves, seek to build one another up in the faith. That's what we're supposed to be focused on. And listen, that's for the weak and the strong is, is as well. Our goal is to, does it edify? Will this build up? Will this grow us in Christ? But here especially the instruction is to the strong. That we are to please his neighbor for his good doesn't mean you're ruled by the weaker conscience. We've talked about that. But what you're, you're aiming at in your neighbor is to build them up in the faith, in the word, in Christ. So we have an obligation, especially those of us who are strong. We have an obligation of self-sacrifice for the glory of Christ and for the good of our brothers and sisters. We, we, we don't have the license to always flaunt our freedoms in the face of everyone in the church. In fact, we have the command not to do that and to be careful about making people stumble. We've, we've talked about that, so I'll point you back to the previous sermons. But look at what the example, the example of Christ, what, what, we're called to follow Christ. So how did Christ walk? John tells us that those, if you go back and read 1 John 2, those who claim to follow Christ ought to walk as he walked. So how did he walk? Christ is our example. The gospel is what fuels this kind of sacrifice. Look what it says. For Christ, this pretty, he told us not to please ourselves. And then verse 3, for Christ did not please himself. And we'll see, we'll see a little bit more detail of that later on. Later on I'm going to read again. We've already done that, but read again from Philippians 2. Christ's highest goal is not to please himself. Christ did not please himself. He denied himself for the glory of the Father and the good of his church. 
He let go of his privileges to come and be born under his own law. The, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, took to himself a human nature that he might fulfill all righteousness for his people and pay the penalty for their sin. He lived in perfect fulfillment of the law and thought, word, and deed so that he had a perfect righteousness to credit to his people. And then he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. That's why Christ died, because the wages of sin is death. And that's what God told Adam and Eve before they ever ate of the fruit of the tree, right? And the day you eat of it, you shall die. And they did. That's why they were making silly fig leaf coverings and stuff. Spiritually, they died when they dishonored God. Life became more about self at that point. But see, Christ came to live for us. His life is important. His imputed righteousness is important. He came to die for us, to pay the penalty for our sins, so that we might be cleansed of all of our sin and clothed in His righteousness. Our record of sin might be obliterated on the cross and His record of righteousness credited to us so that before the judgment of a bar. If you're trusting in Christ this morning, your record before God is perfect righteousness. It's not your good works outweighing your bad works. It's that great exchange that we sang about. My sin, he became sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God in him. That righteousness from God. That righteousness that God required, that Christ fulfilled, becomes mine through faith. And this faith even is a gift of God. I'm dead in my trespasses and sins. And in his grace, his spirit gives me life through the gospel so that I turn, I repent. I have a change in the direction of my soul from running from God to running to God. And I receive Christ by faith, trusting in Him and Him alone for my salvation. Turn and trust in Jesus. Have you, has God brought you to a sense of conviction over sin so that you turned and you trusted in Jesus? Maybe you're a child. You were a child when you were converted. You don't even remember that. At this point, is there an ongoing work in your life of repentance and faith so that you are trusting in Christ alone and out of love for Him, seeking to turn from the things that dishonor Him? Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He was raised the third day. And He purchased for Himself a people who would follow Him in a life of self-denial. So are you trusting in Christ this morning? If you're trusting in yourself and trusting in you being good enough or some other thing you've done or somebody else has done, if you're trusting in anything other than Christ, you're not ready. If you're trusting in Christ, you're forgiven, you're clothed in His righteousness, you're reconciled, you're a child of God. What is His will for me? Well, His will is to follow Him and to sacrifice self the way He sacrificed for us. Jesus purchased a people who would follow him in self-denial and be willing to take the blows for that. In other words, he purchased a people who would put God's glory first. What's the chief end of man? Glorify God and enjoy him forever, right? A people who would be focused on glorifying God. And look look there, and he quotes Psalm 69, 9. And that psalm about the passion of Christ, and you can go, I'll let you go read that. For whatever, no, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell upon me. 
So he was willing to take the blow and those reproaches that were really directed towards God, but, but fell upon him. And if we're going to live a God-glorifying life out of faith in Jesus and love for him, we're going to have to be willing to take the blow sometimes. And part of that sacrifice then is what we're talking about for the unity of God's church. Christ blazed the trail of a God-centered life for us, self-sacrifice for the glory of God. And listen to me, God's glory is worth whatever it costs you. What's your chief end? What were you created for? Why did he make you? For his glory. You want to know why you're here? Where you came from? What's your purpose? There you go. And your first step into God's glory is repentance and faith in Jesus. But God's glory is worth whatever it costs. Its value far exceeds the value of my own personal freedom. What we're talking about here, in these disputed matters like eating meat or drinking wine or you, you know, we've talked about that a lot. He is not saying that we set aside our commitment to the commandments of God, to those moral requirements. That's what these, not what these disputed matters are. But strong, those who are strong believers, if necessary, sacrifice your freedoms for the growth of your brother and sister. If anyone would follow me, let him take up his Mercedes and take up his cross and deny himself and follow me. This strikes at the very heart of our default setting, doesn't it? In the fall, the focus of life, the most important thing, the the target, the reference point became self instead of God. Self-fulfillment, self-actualization, self-promotion. The reason you're here is to have as much fun and have as many experiences as you can have and, and, and be able to post all that on Facebook to make everybody else jealous. That's another thing. If you ever do any counseling, you'll find out all them Facebook pictures is an imaginary life. But that's another. Listen, it's not about you. The church is not about you. It's for you to lock arms with one another to make it about him. Jesus calls on us to deny ourselves. And listen, that's why the world hates Christ. That's why we will get reproaches from the world if we follow Christ. Because the world hates the true Christ and reproaches Him or redefines Him so that He's no longer offensive. See, the world hates the true Christ. It hates His true message. It hates His true people. Go back and read the Beatitudes. Blessed are you. You are my people if you are poor in spirit. You realize your spiritual bankruptcy. You cannot make yourself right with God. You cannot save yourself so that you're leaning fully on His mercy. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. You don't deserve saving. You'll never hear Osteen preach that. Listen, His people mourn over sin. What God calls sin. And the world hates that. They're meek. They're not self-assertive. Seeing they hunger and thirst for righteousness as God defines it. 
They're peacemakers with His gospel. And after you go through that list of Beatitudes, what are the, what's at the end of it? Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jesus said, woe are you if all people speak well of you. But blessed are you if you are persecuted, not because you're a jerk. We can do that. That's easy. No, blessed are you if you're persecuted for my sake, for my name, because you follow me, because you really follow me. See, Jesus took the reproaches that were really due to God, and he told us if they reject you, they're really rejecting me. So we're to, we're to, that's our pattern. That's our that's our 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 we're to follow him and to live that way to prioritize the glory of God and take whatever blows that brings us. And I mean, it's a it's a really in light of all of the other blows, it's really a small blow really to sacrifice some of our freedoms for for the unity of the church and the growth of our brothers and sisters. Listen, the world will tell you life is about you being happy. But God says it's about you being holy. And here's the cool thing about that. Real, true happiness and joy is found in God's will. Holiness leads to true happiness that is rooted in God first. And that will never leave you. But God calls you to holiness and that requires you to deny yourself and sacrifice yourself to follow Jesus all out of love for him and love for neighbor. What is the law? Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another the way Christ has loved you. That's really what this is saying. Love one another the way Christ has loved you. He sacrificed himself for you. Now you go sacrifice yourself for one another. And we will nurture and maintain this unity. But if I keep my list and make that most important, or my freedoms and those are most important, we're going to be at each other's throat instead of unified the way we should be. This establishes... And feeds the true unity. Look at Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. Paul, and listen, I was talking to somebody about this this week. Ephesians, Colossians, books like that, some of these epistles, you get the gospel in the first half of the book and the application of the gospel in the second half. It's kind of like Romans. First 11 chapters, gospel and God's mercy, and then the application of the gospel. And look at, one, look at the first thing. When, when Paul turns to application of the gospel in the book of Ephesians, look what the first thing is he addresses in chapter 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humil, hum, humanity, that's the new one, humility and gentleness, with patience, and there it is, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So life in Christ's church is a life of fighting for unity by not prioritizing pleasing self. So what should I prioritize? Number two, fight for unity by prioritizing pleasing God. And we've talked a little bit about that already. Look at and it's an interesting turn here. 
that having quoted Psalm 69.9, Paul sort of takes what's a little bit of an aside to just reestablish the authority of what we call the Old Testament Scriptures. But we're called here to be God-centered, not self-centered. Um, before the fall, we mentioned the fall, Adam and Eve were God-centered. But look at verse 4. This is, he's calling us to a whole Bible Christianity. He says, he's quoted Psalm 69.9, and then he says this, Whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Whatever was written formerly, in former days, he's talking about what we know as the Old Testament, which in that time was the Bible of the church, because obviously the New Testament hasn't, hasn't been finished. So he's briefly in, emphasizing the value of the Bible, and, and, and in this context, the value of what we call the Old Testament, when he says it's written for, for our instruction. You know, I, I was at a family reunion one time, and I don't remember which psalm I shared a devotion um, in that family reunion. I wish I could remember the song, but I don't remember what, which one it was. But anyway, the, that's not the point. At the end of the devotion, after that was all over, and it was Cindy's family, so I'm not blaming her, but yeah. <laughs> Got to lighten it up every once in a while. One of, one of the older men came to me, and he said, that was a pretty good devotion. He said, but that was from the old stuff. He was like, that was Old Testament. We're in New Testament now. Boy, you gotta you gotta decide where you want to win that or even if you want to try to win that battle when that one comes across you from somebody you don't know like that. But his understanding was see, that's where you get these 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 half Bible well, it's not even a half Bible, a quarter Bible. When when they've torn off the the Old Testament and just give you a New Testament. <coughs> or maybe they throw in Psalms and Proverbs because maybe that's helpful. But you really don't need the rest of that stuff. Paul's saying it's all important. It's all for our instruction. We interpret it, yes, in light of the New Testament and the coming of Christ. We see Christ as the fulfillment of it. But it doesn't mean it's done away with. It's written for our instruction. What purpose? Look at, look at the verse here. I know a lot more time could be spent on that. That through endurance. See, endurance is what we're called to. Endurance in this self-denial life in following Christ. It's going to take some power. It's going to take some patience. It's going to take some endurance. But we've been provided for for that. He says, it was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Look at those two words there. You have encouragement and endurance. We, we are called to endurance and we have the encouragement that fuels that endurance and following Christ through the scriptures through all of the scriptures point biblical hope leads to a growing conviction to live for God's glory like Jesus biblical hope true hope this sound bible hope this hope that's in Christ will lead us to a growing conviction to live a God-centered and not a self-centered life. And I love the play here with the words that you can see clearly here in the ESV. Look at verse 5. Now, now remember, up in verse 4, he said, through endurance and encouragement. Now look at verse 5. Look, look what he calls God. 
showing the source of all of this. May the God of endurance and encouragement. The God who gives us endurancement. Well, I made up another word. Let's just blend them together. The God who fuels our endurance with the encouragement of the Scriptures. The God of endurance and encouragement. Look at and Paul. He's broken into a prayer here slash benediction. May the God of endurance and encouragement, the God who is with you in the fight, couldn't have proved it any better except in His Son who lived, died, was buried, was raised for you. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live. Now watch this. This is how all this is to be applied in the community in Christ in His church. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to fight all the time but make it to heaven. To live in such harmony with one another. Now here it goes back to Christ. In accord with Christ. That's the goal of this whole section is harmony in the church that is in accord with Christ, that is like Christ, that is following Christ. This self-denying, sacrificial harmony. That's what he's producing in his church. What does God want us to do? How do we apply this whole section? Is to live in such harmony with one another that is in accord with Christ Jesus. Look at it. Let's, let's read Philippians 2, uh, 1 to 11. And, and I didn't bulge my notes with it, so I'm going to have to flip over to it. Okay. Philippians 2, 1 to 11. We're called to follow Christ and then following Christ to live in this kind of Christ-centered humility and unity. So, Philippians 2. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, is there? Yes. Any comfort from His love? Yes. Any participation in the Spirit? Yes. Any affection and sympathy? Yes, 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 yes. Okay, apply that. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. One mind, one heart, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What is that mindset you're calling us to? Look at verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind. Here he goes again, showing us that it's the Christ-like mind. Have this mind among yourselves. Not, no, notice that. He didn't just say in you individually, but among yourselves. This is to characterize my church. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't selfishly grasp and hold on to his privileges. He didn't give up his deity. He took on humanity, but we'll go forward. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men, by being found in human form, he humbled himself even further by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He sacrificed himself. Therefore, God highly exalted him, the Father, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Come back tonight. We'll talk more about that. 
The exaltation comes through the cross. Not just for Jesus, but for us as well. As in following Him. Yes, we're not dying for our own sins, but we're following Him in that being willing to sacrifice ourselves for God's glory and for the good of my brothers and sisters. My freedoms or my list is not what's most important. It's Christ and His Word and following Him. And anything that is not a moral requirement in His Word, we will agree to disagree on until we come to unity in that thing. We won't compromise His commandments. But live in harmony with Christ, in unity with Him, like Him. Nothing done out of selfish ambition. Humility considering... Don't Just go back there. Look at that in verse 3. Count others more significant than yourself. And therefore look not only to your own interest, but to the interest of others. I mean, that's what we're being called to here in chapter 15. And what is the outflow of this kind of unity? Look at verse 6. That together, together, you may not just have one mind, but look at this, you have one voice. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. One, unified, arm in arm, following Christ and with one voice glorifying the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, First Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Everything he said about Israel in the Old Testament comes forward. We see Gentiles included, the, the Israel of God in the New Testament. I don't have time to go into all that. I'll let you go look at that. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. What is my purpose then? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the outflow of the kind of self-sacrificial unity he's calling us to. Is that we will have one voice for his glory and be the light and salt that he's called us to be. And this is all of our responsibility. Look at verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as long as you agree on every little thing. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. Go down the list. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Welcome you as you have been welcomed in Jesus Forgiveness, grace, humility, sacrificially. See, we can be one and not be cookie cutters of one another. We can be one and have different ideas over some things, but not the main things. And maturity is when, is when you grow and mature in being able to know the difference between the two. Life in the church is a life of fighting for unity by prioritizing, pleasing God according to what he has revealed in his word, rightly interpreted with Christ at the center. A few points of application and we'll stop. 
Beware of elevating disputed matters to the level of God's commandments and judging and condemning your brother or sister. The weak sometimes do this. So there's a beware there for the weak. Beware of elevating disputed matters to the level of God's commandments and judging or condemning your brother and sister. The weak do this. And if that strikes home, let it. Don't defend turf. Like, wow, I've been taking a stand in way too many places here. I've been tearing at the unity of the church because I have been elevating disputed matters to essential matters and demanding that everybody agree with me. But see, the guns aren't just aimed at the weak. Number two, beware of elevating Christian liberty, your freedom over unity and despising your brother and sister. The strong sometimes do this. Just one illustration, but I've, I've told you about this before, but I know sometimes, especially when we're new and we get set free and, and we embrace some things that we see are freedoms that, that we didn't think were freedoms before, we just blast everybody with those. And I've known brothers who would take and, and post, like on Facebook, pictures of their favorite scotch and cigars and them sitting there blowing smoke. Okay. Maybe you do. You are free to do that. But you shouldn't be blasting it out like that. The rest of y'all, whatever you do with this, here's. See, the strong can be wrong, too. Because we elevate freedom over our responsibility of self-sacrifice for our brothers and sisters. So the weak, beware. The strong, beware. And then more in line with the scripture today. This is, this is a, listen, one of the reasons you need to, to, to proclaim the gospel to yourself every day is to remember who you are outside of Christ, what Christ has done for you, and now for who you are in Christ so that you can walk this, this path of self-denial. That's why I put this little word daily in here. Fight daily not to prioritize self in the Christian life. That's why Luke said, take up your cross daily and follow him. See, this is, I'm going to get up every morning and, and, and if I, my default setting, if I'm not attacking it with the gospel, is to divert to legalism and self, self-importance. Just like the little child. We have to train them out of that, right? Fight daily not to prioritize self in the Christian life, but to prioritize God, prioritize Christ. Christ came to create a selfless people, those who consider others better than themselves. Number four, fight daily to prioritize God's glory in the Christian life. See, they're related. We don't just stop doing something. We have to replace it, put off and put on. Christ came to create a God-centered people who will dwell in unity so that they can be the light and salt that he's called them to be. 
Philippians 1.27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that, watch this, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. If we are going to be one that could be found, and when I say one, I mean this body, this church, that can be found as standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, locked arms for the gospel, that will mean that we are daily fighting the battle to maintain this unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Douglas Moo said this, one of the commentaries I read. Divisions in the church over non-essentials diverts precious time and energy from its basic mission, the proclamation of the gospel and the glorifying of God. May His church, may this local expression of His church be a beautiful, well-maintained lawn or garden of unity for His glory and our good. As you go away, one question. Are you a faithful worker slash warrior in the lawn of, or the garden of God's church? Are you pulling the weeds of self first and fertilizing with God first mindset? Is that your focus? See, this is how we fight the good fight. This is how we preserve the unity of his church. With our eyes fixed on Christ who did not please himself to live as Christ let's pray Lord I, I pray for myself and the rest of us that you would help us to take off and leave off the me glasses and put on and wear the gospel glasses or or the Christ-centered glasses, however we want to. God glory, God's glory glass. Seeing everything through that lens. Being willing to sacrifice myself. Being patient and gentle and kind with my brothers and sisters. Working for and fighting the war to maintain the unity of your church for the purposes of your glory. And your gospel getting to the ends of the earth. I praise you. I thank you that we here as Grace Church are enjoying a high level of unity right now. But we dare not presume that. And stop fighting for that and sowing into that. We are, we are doing well, I would say, but we're not glorified as a church. We have room to grow. Room to grow in denying self. Room to grow in glorifying you. Room to grow in preferring one another and sacrificing for one another. So help us to do that and help us, therefore, to train our children to do that. The next generation, as we were challenged through the Scripture reading, may they see in us an example of this and hear from us the right teaching on this. Deliver us from pride and establish us in a Christ-like humility that will sacrifice itself for the glory of God and the good of the church. Lord, convert those who don't know you and sanctify those of us who do. 
Lift high your son. And may we be conformed into his image. It's in Jesus' holy name.